I certainly won't, don't want to undo what I did last week. Because last Sunday I empowered, I communicated with you that you were empowered to go be the hands extended. That you didn't need to bring people to a building to get saved. That if they want to get saved, you don't have to bring them here. Just lead them to Christ right where you are. Take the Jesus living in you and apply it to their lives. And understand the power and the principles of the gospel. And lead them immediately to the Lord. And if they need praying for the, if they're sick or have a need, again, you don't need to bring them to a building to impact and, and engage the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit living in you. And we preached about that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now inhabits your life. And so you're enabled and empowered and engaged. But sometimes when you go fishing, see, I enjoy, this is one of the loves of my life, I love the outdoors and I really, really, really love the water and I love to fish. Now this is kind of a, a get started sermon with the attire because this really isn't how I look when I go fishing. <laughs> Nobody looks this good, you know, when they go fishing. The hat is real and the pants are real. But Michelle thought I might want to ease into this thing just a little bit. So next week it's going to be real. I'm going to have full tournament gear on. I'm going to have the hat that's all, that looks like it's been hit by a lawnmower. But something about that hat, when I put it on my head, fish show up. And there's different types of fishing. Some people fish casually. Other people get serious about it. I'm probably one that's a little more serious about it. Now, I have, a, a, I have a crew that goes with me a lot of the time. Sometimes it's my family. Sometimes it's my dad. Sometimes it's my sons. Sometimes it's extended family. But my favorite uh, person on the boat is the pirate among pirates. It's swashbuckler herself, Miss Michelle. Because there's a difference when she gets on the boat and I get on the boat. Because we both call ourselves fishing. But we have two different concepts of fishing. Her concept of fishing is she wants to have our Bluetooth speaker on the boat. She wants it synced to a phone. She likes to hear Adele in the background singing. And she likes to be gathering as much sun as possible. She does not like to catch bait. She does not like when I throw the net, it gets grass in the boat. And so she is throwing her influence towards me every single time we get on the boat to use artificial bait. And then what happens is, is she's back there catching the sun, reading a book, listening to Adele, and I'm supposed to hook the fish and then give her the pole. She is supposed to bring it in, and then we are supposed to post to Facebook the fish that she caught. That's normally how it works. <laughs> but there's two things that you have to do when you go fishing. Now the first one that I'm going to mention, I don't really practice. It's just something I'm encouraging you to do when you go fishing. Is One, you should probably take a peek at the weather. And if it's storming and, and, and the wind is blowing, you probably should listen to that little voice inside of you that says... Remember what pastor says, God doesn't heal stupid. You wear stupid. 
Because I don't really practice that one very much because when it rains, there's something that comes over me that says, you know what, all the wheat fishermen stayed home today and the fish are just waiting for me to show up and I have a raincoat. So I call my dad and I'll say, hey, only the strong, only the strong. And I, I'm playing on his pride and I'm saying, I need some help, but will you be dumb enough to go with me? Most of the time, he says yes. Some of the time, I remember one story, and then I'll get to my message. One story, I took Michelle, and she said, it doesn't it look like it's going to storm? I said, oh, I can outrun the storm. <laughs> Lo and behold, the storm was everywhere. <laughs> we ended up in the mangroves, and she was curled over with a rain jacket on top of her. And we stayed there for about an hour. She got soaking wet and cold. It broke, and immediately I went right back to fishing mode. She's back here like this. And I really believe it was the Holy Spirit that said, Go home, dummy. And I, I did. I listened to that voice, and I went home. But the second thing that you have to do when you go fishing is measure the tide and the time. Because time means everything. Because what you want to do is you want to maximize your opportunity. And a lot of times we'll go fishing when the tide turns and starts to come in. So we know that going out at the first, there's not going to be a lot of water. But the more time we spend out on the boat, the more water is going to come in. And we're going to get to the places where most of those fish hide that we can't get to on real low tide. Because we're going to get the, uh, the opportunity to have water come in and provide us access to every little nook and cranny that a fish can hide. That's what's happening to you over the next four weeks. That's why this is so important. Because today's message is called the power of invitation. You fishing for men. And do you realize that Barna did a study? And in his study he, he started to evaluate the data concerning church. Especially surrounding Easter and Christmas. And he come to this conclusion when he started interviewing unchurched people. And sometimes the people he interviewed didn't even believe in God. And to his surprise, even in those categories, seven out of ten people said that they would go to church on Easter if they were invited. I'm going to say that again. Seven out of ten people said that they would sit with you on Easter Sunday if simply we had the courage and the opportunity to, to leverage our influence in their life to invite them. That's why we've provided these for you. It gives you a reminder to say, hey, we're going to do a couple of things. One, we're going to have the experience on Friday, Good Friday and Saturday that is going to go through what Jesus went through during that week of Holy Week. We're going to also have an Easter service where somebody could be sitting next to you and it should be a mission that we're going to go on that says, I don't want to go to church alone. Can somebody say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't go to church alone on Easter. Because, let me, let me show you how quickly God can speak to us. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to really think about it and use your heart and your imagination. Who do you know right now in your life that needs to know the hope that only Jesus can provide? I'm going to say that again while they have it up on the board. Who do you know right now in your life that needs the hope that only Jesus can provide? 
Because whoever that is that you got the picture of, see, you have influence in their life. I don't eat with them. I don't know where they live. I don't work with them. But you do. And God put that moment in your mind right then when you heard the question. I believe it empowers us to be on mission on, the, on behalf of whoever it was that showed up in that image, in that moment, that needs the hope of Jesus more than anything else. And can you imagine coupling that with seven out of ten people would come to church with you if you invited them on Easter? What could happen on Easter Sunday when you come with them, sitting next to you, and we come in fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God that got up from the dead and we celebrate the power of resurrection because if He can get up from the dead, He can raise us from the death of our sins. Amen? You know them. And who knows that this little pink card and your courage could be the doorway to a miracle. See, I told you last week, the one thing that we needed to do was make sure we continue doing what Jesus did. And do you know the first thing that he did when he started his earthly ministry was offer two guys an invitation. He ha he's fasted for 40 days. He has confronted the devil. And at that moment of overcoming the devil with the authority of the word of God, he descends from the mountains, goes into the synagogue, opens up the scroll of Isaiah, reads Isaiah 61 and says, This day it's been fulfilled in front of your very eyes. And then he goes fishing. What? Yeah. He started just walking through the community. At the moment that he's walking through the community, he sees, he is seen by the, a man that was a famous prophet, his cousin named John the Baptist. Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? That guy that's very kind of unkept, wears camel hair, big old beard. You know, what's your imagination about John the Baptist? He, is he like suit and tie guy? Or is he like biker guy? Yeah, he's like biker guy. He's like, he's a woodsman. He's an outdoorsman. This dude's taking locusts and just... Before Bear Grylls, we had John the Baptist, man. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist, around all the men that he was mentoring, called his disciples, says this. And the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. T Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I want you to get this in your mind. Jesus is just walking through the community. John the Baptist looks and says, there's the Messiah, the Lamb of God. His two mentor, or mentorees, his disciples, young men, look over, see Jesus, and start following him. Anybody ever been followed? Creeps you out, right? I mean, if you just turn around, there's like people following you. Now, if you wake up every day and think people are following you, we need to pray. But there are those real occasions where folks is like creeping up on you. Can you imagine Jesus just walking by? He's heard John say this and he probably, you know, just, you know, humbly said, okay. And he just keeps going and there's these two dudes now stalking him. And he finally goes, what y'all doing? And they go, oh, we're following you. Where are you staying? 
that would have been a red flag right there. And he said, well, if you want to know where I'm staying, come on. They get an invitation to go with him and spend the day with him. From that invitation, one of those guys that is invited to spend the day with Jesus, what could have happened at his place where he was staying? He didn't own a house. It was probably somebody else's house. He was just allowed to stay there. That's another key. If you have a house guest, please restrict who they invite over. Because folks are just crazy. Like the group over here that sits up here that I call family. Do you realize that me and Michelle went on a trip and we called our, our sons like three weeks ago and they had invited people over to our house that we weren't at to watch the Super or watch a playoff game. We said, well, we're glad you're having fun. What's wrong with your house? Well, we like your house better. That's interpreted. We like your food. We know that you have stuff in the cabinets and we're going to hang out and you have a pool. God bless. Enjoy your vacation. Well, Jesus shows up with these two guys and I don't know what they talked about. I don't know what they did. I, I, I have no idea the information, but whatever it was impacted them in such a degree that one of the guys that followed him home that day, his name was Andrew. And Andrew couldn't wait to go find his brother named Peter. He goes and finds him and he says, Peter, or his name was Simon at the time. He said, Simon, we have found the Messiah and you have to come and see. See, the invitation that Jesus gave becomes so contagious that Andrew went and invited somebody else, somebody he loved and cared about. And you know what happened? He went with him. The other guy that was probably, uh, the Bible says it this like this, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And first he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Can you imagine just meeting a guy and he says, Hey, I got something to say to you. I'm going to change your name. And I love how Jesus starts inviting people. Because this is one of the keys to invitation. You ever notice that Jesus never invites people you think he should invite? He goes and invites fishermen. Because this one invitation is going to turn into six men. At the same time, the other guy that was with Andrew was probably Philip. And Philip goes and gets a friend named Nathaniel. Nathaniel is sitting under a fig tree when he comes to him and he says the same thing that Andrew said. We found the Christ. We found the Messiah. We found the chosen one. Come and see. The one that Moses wrote about, we found him. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph. And he says, can anything good come out of Galilee? You ever met somebody like that? It's like, ah, oh, this works for you, but I don't know if it works for me. This is your thing. But he finds out, he, he convinces him to come meet this guy. And while he's coming, he looks at him and never been introduced to him before. And he says, oh, there's Nathaniel, uh, an Israelite that has no, no guile. He, he, he has no deceit in him. He said, how do you know me? He said, not only do I know you, but I know where you were sitting when, when Andrew asked you, or when Philip asked you, you were sitting under a fig tree and all of a sudden... The king of kings starts to reveal his authority. And, and now Philip and Andrew are now going to become disciples. 
So now you've got Andrew, Peter. Peter hasn't yet been convinced, but he's met him. He's going to get convinced at a boat. And at the boat, he's not only going to get convinced, but he's going to, in turn, invite two more people, James and John, his partners. And they are going to find the power of this Christ through his words and through his actions. He's going to cause a miraculous catch of fish. And all of a sudden, not only does he call unqualified people, but he picks people nobody else would pick. Anybody ever been to the boat dock? The ramp, the public ramp. Here's the thing. I'm gonna, I, I, I said this in first service. I'm going to say it here. If you take this idea and you make millions of dollars, I want my cut. Because if you just take a camera to the public boat ramp and film what goes on, you will make a million dollars. You're going to find husbands cussing and screaming at their wives like their wives are supposed to be ship captains. And they should know how to drive an 18-wheeler and back the boat in while they stand there with their captain hat on and just do their thing. you got guys yelling at their sons, get this, do that. And then you got those people that just bought their boat from Bass Pro Shop. They've never been in the water before. They've never driven a trailer before. And they decide they want to go to fishing at 10 o'clock on a Saturday when everybody else is there. All you got to do is go. You say, Pastor, God doesn't use people that curse. Peter did. And he invited him. See, nobody thinks that Jesus is going to use them because they think of all the things that disqualify them. But what you have to understand is he knows what he's doing when he invites you. Because who would have thought that he would have invited a kid that was so messed up on Panama City Beach he couldn't even live in his parents' house. But he turned him into a pastor. What could he do when he invites you? See, sometimes we forget what it's like who we were when he really found us. Because we've gotten so far away from that moment do you realize who Jesus called when he called you to the point of salvation? And if you told your unedited testimony, it would probably scare the person sitting next to you. But that's when you thought you were going to be a nut. Because when he found you, it, the overwhelming joy that come over your life, when he chose you and invited you to join him in what he was doing, it becomes so moving to you. Do you remember when you first got saved and had to tell everybody? And people started calling you nuts. You're going to be a religious freak and fanatic. Yeah, and it made you quit asking. See, what we have to understand is that God didn't want you to stop asking. He wanted you to have wisdom enough to let the Holy Spirit open the door before you just shove Jesus down everybody's throat. That's good. That's good preaching right there. Because he didn't go to the temple... See, a lot of times, the reason that we've gone on this journey for 17 years and 10 years, the 10-year mark, we made such a drastic change, is I really got frustrated the way the people were describing God because it was a, such an error that I couldn't believe that they really felt that way. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved before you become cynical or judgmental? You know, when, when you started judging the cover and talking about the power of a person before you realize the potential that was inside of them that Jesus could make come alive. Do you realize that in this congregation today are people that were homeless that now own their own business? But some people would have judged them and said, oh, they can't... I, I, here's the new, new um, uh, just 
free one. When you go invite, don't invite somebody from another church. They're already caught. And we don't need them to come from this church to this church because we think we do church better. Why don't we go out to the people that we really believe that God can transform and invite them and allow the presence and the power of God to do something supernatural? Oh, what Jesus could do when He called you. You know, that preacher that... You, let me get back to that error. See, when... When I started hearing about God after I was in the vocational ministry, he sounded mean. He sounded rough. He sounded like he was this God up in heaven floating on a cloud with a big white beard and long white hair. And he had a book in his hand and he had a big magic marker and he watched every move that you made and he was looking for you to mess up. And the moment you messed up, he was able to scratch your name out of the book and send you to hell justifiably. Let me tell you, friend, if that's God, He just didn't have to send Jesus to die on a cross and you would have went to hell all on your own. He didn't need the pen or the book. But what He is, He is a God that is watching every move and inviting you and drawing you by His, own, by His love. And He is trying to reveal Himself to you over and over again. And He does have a pen in His hand and He does have the book of life at His access. But He's not there to scratch your name out. He's wanting to find fellowship with you through invitation to write your name in. Because he would have met Jesus' invitation went to Philip and Andrew and then it went to Nathaniel and Simon and then James and John and out of one invitation, one experience and watching Jesus go stay wherever he stayed turned into six disciples. Power of invitation. Then he loses his mind. Touch a neighbor and say crazy stuff. See, you could be talking about them right now and you've just been wanting to say it all morning. But you can, and you can even get away with it because you can say, Pastor told me to say crazy stuff. I just happened to look at you. <laughs> See, it's one thing when, we, when Jesus calls the unqualified, but when he calls the depraved, he goes to. He, so he tells Peter, he tells Peter, he says, Hey, since you've taken me up on the invitation, I'm going to make you fishers of men and I'm going to show you how to fish. Walk with me. So he's walking with him, and he comes up to one dude, a crooked tax collector, an embezzler, a cheater, a man that stole money, and he didn't wait for him to get cleaned up. He just walked right up to the... He said, yup, fish. Ever, anybody fish, say amen. There's something about when you see it. All of a sudden, see, sometimes my dad, he'll fish in the back of the boat and he's telling me how to fish and telling me what to do and I'm driving the trolling motor and all of a sudden I see a shadow. And I say, oh, but dad, there's a fish. And you know what happens? Unexplainably, a line from the back of the boat slings past me over to this shadow. And he's like, man, it's every man for himself when we see fish. See, that's what Jesus did when he met Matthew. When he met Matthew, he said, there's a fish. Let me show you how to catch him. So he goes up to a man that's hated by society because he works for the Roman government. And he walks right up to him, didn't tell him to clean up, didn't tell him to even get saved, just said, come follow me. And you know what he does? He 
does it. An invitation. Didn't say to do anything. Didn't say to act different. He just said, come follow me. Dude gets up from his table and says, okay, where are we going? What a step of faith. You know what he does? The same thing the other two guys did. He goes and invites a bunch of people. Who does he invite? People like him. And all of a sudden, from one guy getting up from a table, the next time you see Jesus, he's eating in a banquet room at Matthew's house, and the Bible says this, with tax collectors and sinners. He got on his Facebook feed and his Twitter feed and every other feed, and he said, hey, I met the Christ. He even calls crooked tax collectors. Come see this man. He's changed my life. And the critics, the Pharisees, says, who is this man that eats with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus pulls a fast one on him. He says, hey, if you're a doctor, you're looking for sick people, not people that are well. He said, I'm looking for those that are desperate that nobody else will invite because I can turn them into an apostle because the man that cheated you will be the man that will be preaching to you next. And not only will he be preaching for you, but to you, but he'll be dying for me later. And he's going to bring everybody like him. I, t- I talked about you and I bragged about you in first service because you're a little different than them. We're growing in first service. We had like not, not probably about 90 people in first service today. But they're really, hey, yeah. We had our first interpretive dancer there this morning. You know, I was like, hey, man. Let it happen. God bless. Jesus, but you're going to do it over here with me. <laughs> but we did. And, and I told him, I said, you know what? When I preach real good with you, I said, they, you, you, I'm, how you cheer me on is you tell me amen. I said, second service, you don't always get that. They're like, I said, sometimes you get whistles. Sometimes we'll wave a flag in praise. Sometimes we'll dance. I said, even sometimes we got folks that ain't never been to church before. And so when they feel the Spirit moving upon them, sometimes it gets away from them. And their real person comes to the surface. And it'll happen right in church. They're like on the edge of their seats. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I said, you know what? When I'm preaching real good and you go, amen. I said, in second service, you can get a hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Because somebody's got to go to the hell yeah people and get a dinner going and say, I've met a Jesus that can change everything about you, even the way you talk. What he was telling the Pharisees, as hypocritical as they were, and if you are a Christian, let me just set this thing straight. Before you go out with these pink things and go ask somebody to church with you on Sunday, Easter Sunday, get this. Please do not tell them ever again you're perfect. Because you give us all a bad name. Because you tell them or act like you're perfect and then they see you live and you fall short and they call us all hypocrites. So let's just go like we are and say, you know what? I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but I've met a Jesus that is perfect. And He loves you and He loves me. 
And so what he told those hypocritical Pharisees, and when they saw him call Matthew, they said, I tolerated him calling a few fishermen. But now he's trying to add in the crooked tax collectors. He said, yep, I'm just fishing, and fishing is good. Because this one fish just put me into the room with more tax collectors and more sinners. And before I finish dinner, they're going to believe too. Hmm. Wow. The power of an invitation. Two men turned into six disciples. One tax collector, that being the seventh disciple, turned into a room full of sinners and tax collectors, put Jesus at the table, and people believed because of who he was with the power of an invitation. Now let me get to the conclusion. Who did you see in your mind and your heart when you asked the question, who do I know in my life right now that needs to know the hope that only Jesus can provide? That's your mission. To put an invitation in their hand. Don't just invite the people that everybody would want. Make sure we invite the people that need him the most. Can you imagine a card and your effort anointed by the Holy Spirit could introduce somebody to Jesus for the very first time and it saved them from hell? A miracle. Just fishing for men. Going to those places nobody else would go. Putting a line in the water and believing he's Christ enough to transform. Would you sit back for a moment? Close your eyes. Think of that person that needs the hope of Jesus and worship with Amy as we worship him.